God, to you all hearts are open. Open them wider still to one another, to your world, to your word, for love's sake. Amen. Good morning on this wet but wonderful Father's Day. And a shout out to all the dads and father-like figures. And to those for whom this is a day of grief or pain or disappointment, may you know the deep love and care of this community as we, become, as we come before our loving God who is Father, Mother, Creator of all. There is so much we could mine from our exceptionally familiar stories today of David and Goliath and Jesus calming the storm. And given the weather outside, I think we'll preach about the storm today. The thing about Mark's gospel is the most interesting parts are in those details. He drops little Easter eggs throughout his gospel account. And I love that today even Jesus takes a nap. He brings his cushion with him, a prepared traveler. It's a powerful reminder that if even the Son of God can rest, then surely we can too. I hope you're finding time for rest and renewal this summer after the long 15 months we've all just endured. Michael and I are prepping for annual family time in Michigan this August, a cherished time when one great-grandmother, two grandparents, five kids, five in-laws, and 11 great-grandkids, I'm out of fingers, 24 in total, descend on northern Michigan every year without fail for a week of eating and swimming and playing euchre, you know euchre, catching up, and most of all, just being together. And it feels so good to resume a sense of normalcy this year after so long in isolation. So candidly, I will admit I felt hopelessly fatigued when my sister-in-law recently shared that she will be asking the family to still wear these darn masks. Really? Still? As a young-ish, vaccinated, able-bodied person with no dependents, my personal risk tolerance is pretty high. At this point, I only wear a mask in spaces that require them and am perfectly comfortable singing, exercising, shopping, eating in groups. Likewise, I rejoice in the encouraging data from schools this past year suggesting a relatively low risk for most children. However, you see, my niece Charlotte is not most children. Charlotte has Down syndrome, which renders her heart vulnerable and her immunity compromised. For her, access to a vaccine, which we pray will happen soon, is crucial. Truth be told, there are so many experiences and privileges that might always be inaccessible to Charlotte. She might never be able to drive independently. It doesn't mean no one else should ever drive a car. She might never get to be a mom. It doesn't mean no one else should ever have kids. 
she still needs us to wear masks to ensure her safety. It doesn't mean we'll need to forever, but this temporary inconvenience for the rest of us communicates a permanent truth about Charlotte. She is beloved. And she is infinitely worth it. We're family. So when my sister-in-law said, you know, we've kept her alive this long, we're not going to screw up now, there was no question in my mind. I would do anything for Charlotte. Honestly, if it wasn't family, I'd probably say, you know what, forget about it. Let's just do our own thing this August. We'll try again next year. But Charlotte is family. And while she's just one out of 24, we follow a good shepherd, Jesus, who leaves the 99 for the one. All Saints is family. Not of 24, but some 2,800. Truthfully, there have always been homebound parishioners unable to attend church for a variety of reasons. Of course, that doesn't mean that none of us should go to church or that we'll need to wear masks forever. But this temporary continued inconvenience for some communicates a permanent truth for all, especially children, who need just a little more time and precaution to be safe. It says you are loved. You are infinitely worth it. Because we are family. We are family. Not fellow club members, not fellow sports team fans, but very siblings in the mystical body of Christ. United by faith to proclaim one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. As we strive to truly live into that glorious reality, I'm so proud of our family and thankful for Simon's leadership, the public task force, and all the saints who have worked together to keep everyone safe. Fatigued as we may be, I'm right there with you. By ever-evolving protocols and precautions, we will continue to weather this season as a family. Speaking of weather, another oft-missed detail in Mark's mercurial miracle tale today is that there were other boats. How often do we become so obsessed on the state of our own boat, our bubble, our household, health, interest, activities, job, church, that instead of remembering we belong to Christ, we begin to think that he belongs to us. It's telling that we call our sanctuaries the nave and we build our church like naval boats. But Jesus isn't into patching up boats with band-aids today. His power and compassion extends far beyond the disciples' small-minded self-concern in silencing the sea and calming the waves. Jesus himself becomes an icon of God's authority over all creation. Jesus lifts our gaze to recognize that we as the human family are not all in the same boat, but we face the same storms. Jesus not only calms the storm, Jesus rebukes it. Mark uses the same language he uses to describe the exorcism of demons and the casting out of evil. Beyond merely booing the disciples' boat, Jesus quietens the very powers of darkness 
as one who came not to fix our personal problems, but to bring peace for all, changing the environment and dismantling systems of oppression in a way that causes everyone to benefit, everyone to win, because love wins. It's an act of liberating love, reflective of Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous insistence that none of us are free till all of us are free. It can feel like a loss for those on the inside who had Jesus in our boat. And yet I believe Jesus is inviting the disciples and us to a deeper, more mature, empathic faith in which no one has a corner on the kingdom. Activist Opal Lee, what a wonderful name, age 94 of Fort Worth, Texas, is known as the grandmother of Juneteenth. Five years ago, at age 89, she made a 1,400-mile pilgrimage on foot to Washington, D.C. to advocate for the national recognition of Juneteenth, short for June 19th, which, which commemorates the date in 1865, two and a half years after Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, when more than 250,000 enslaved people in Texas learned they were finally free. If you're like me, you may have not heard of this important day for so many African Americans until just the past few years. I remember learning in multiple classes throughout my childhood that the real Independence Day was actually July 2nd but it took two days for the news to get out. And so we celebrate it on July 4th. Well, just as it took news of African-American emancipation, not two days, but two years, to break through the resistance of those who would seek to keep it silent, for many of us, our own learning about Juneteenth was delayed not by days, but decades. Of course, Opal Lee lived joyously to see her work pay off this past Thursday when Juneteenth was indeed made official. In a statement, she called Juneteenth a bridge that should be celebrated from June 19th to the 4th of July. Because if you're going to celebrate freedom, let it be celebrated for everybody. Dear people of God, The truth is we are not all in the same boat. We never have been. Juneteenth confronts the hard and unchangeable ramifications of the fact that some people came to this land willingly in boats from Europe and others came by force on boats from Africa. And the chasm could not be greater. These two extremes do not account for every experience, such as the native peoples who already inhabited this land, Europeans who were unwillingly trafficked to this continent, and those who came from other places altogether. But the unjust legacies of those first voyages, one of conquest, one of enslavement, still remain. As we look out on all the storms and chaos of our day, I don't need to name them all, COVID, racial reckoning, climate change, mass incarceration, gun violence, mental health crises. 
all the storms. You know the storms I'm talking about. We are not in the same boat. We never have been, nor do we necessarily need to be to find unity in the waters of baptism and in the storms we face together. The enemy is always the storm. It's not the other boats. We're in the storm together. Don't you care that we're perishing, Lord? Every lifeguard knows that if you can speak, you can breathe, and if you are breathing, then you are not drowning. You might just be dramatic. Of course Jesus cares. The question is, do we? Do we care enough to look beyond our plight, to get out of ourselves, our heads, enough to see the wider angle, to see those in the storm with us? If it was just about our little boats, this would be a wonderful lesson about facing our fears and pulling ourselves together and drawing on those forgotten inner resources, our own sheer resilience, which is so often actually the privileges of wealth and time and health masked as virtue. Jesus doesn't ask any of those things today. The miracle on the water is chiefly a work of God's almighty grace. The Apostle Paul knew something of God's grace, having had his life transformed as a persecutor of Christians turned disciple and pastor after encountering Christ on the road. In our epistle today, he urges an embroiled church in Corinth Do not accept the grace of God in vain, as if it has no effect on your common life together. He is writing to a church struggling to be reconciled to God and one another, bickering over proverbial paints and carpet colors, instead of pressing onward with the work of ministry. The remainder of the passage reflects a a frustrated leader at his wit's end. Paul doesn't dress it up to a community consumed with self-interest, competition, and narcissism. He doesn't use sophisticated rhetoric. Instead, he candidly and ironically, rather haughtily, bears his soul to the community he loves, listing his hardships and credentials as proof of his affection and imploring them not to total agreement, but simply this, church, open wide your hearts. There is grace upon grace to be found even in the storms we face, chiefly the grace of Jesus' loving presence and of one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. As we struggle our way forward in the storms of our day, let us trust in God and let us not accept God's grace in vain. So wrapped up in battening down the hatches of our own boats that we get lost in ourselves, Jesus on the water invites us to cultivate an empathic faith, bearing witness to nothing less than the power of God to break the chains of sin and death and bondage in our world, thereby freeing the whole creation and ushering in love's reign of peace and freedom for all. That is what the church is called to be about. What an awesome mystery. May we look beyond the boats to see the sea and face the wind and waves with boldness, with empathy, and with expectation. 
May, may we put our faith in the God who calms seas and breaks chains and then put that faith to work as we participate in God's mission of setting this weary world free. Open wide your hearts. We will ride out this storm together and with God.